The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for July 6th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here joining you from Austin, Texas for now. And now to here at the end of the week, going to put you in some very capable hands. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But during the show, we are going to talk to you about the rise of the governors. We're going to have some governors running for office. And unlike the last three decades, they're going to actually be big time players in 2024. And more than that, they're already fighting. We will also take you in to a depressing and sad, futile version of our modern political landscape after I talk to all of you about the national consensus that we have on abortion, about how there is solution before us if we want it, if our politicians are incentivized to do it by way of public pressure. We have room to negotiate. Well, we have signs that say that our politicians want to do the exact opposite. So be prepared to be saddened. If you found hope, (laughs) if you found hope in Friday's episode, we're going to let some of the air out of that tire. And we are joined by the money man, Dave uh, Leventhal, to not only talk about how much money the Roe versus Wade reversal has generated, but also whether or not there are fundraising potentials for the January 6th hearing. And I unleash a conspiracy theory about Liz Cheney that I feel might be among my best. All that. But first. Now, kids, you might want to ask your parents, but there was a time in this country when presidents of the United States of America didn't historically come with the resumes that we typically see today, chiefly the Senate, or NBC primetime. In fact, prior to Obama, the last president that came directly from the Senate to the Oval Office was John F. Kennedy. Biden actually brought us back to one of the places that presidents normally hail from, the vice presidency. But it has been since 1992 when Bill Clinton came from Arkansas, 30 years since we elected somebody from the other office, which up until very recently used to be looked at as a surefire warm-up gig for POTUS. Governor. Now, being a governor has a few very big advantages. 
It's an executive role, meaning that you're used to dealing with the legislature and the pressure of understanding that people are going to blame you for pretty much everything, no matter what. It also means you've probably spent the majority, if not the entirety of your career, outside of D.C., meaning you can call yourself an outsider with fresh ideas. And for the first time since Bill Clinton, it looks like we are going to have a bumper crop of governors running for the White House in 2024. Strong executives from populated states with their eyes on the White House. We're going to run down a few of them because they seem to be battling with each other recently. First, we have a contender from the fourth most populated state of the union who's gained a stellar record for how he's handled the pandemic with some of his fans even dubbing themselves Cuomo sexual. Oh, hold on. Okay. Yeah. These are old notes. Okay. Moving on. It's independence day. So let's talk about what's going on in America. Freedom, it's under attack in your state. Your Republican leaders, they're banning books, making it harder to vote, restricting speech in classrooms, even criminalizing women and doctors. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love. Don't let them take your freedom. Paid for by Newsom for California Governor 2022. That is California Governor Gavin Newsom. He is nominally running for re-election for his gubernatorial post in the Golden State this fall. But really, what you just heard is the first campaign ad of the 24 election. After all, there is no part of Florida that is indeed eligible to vote in California So exactly what else is this for? Now, it will delight some people in California. I can say with a fair amount of confidence that a rich vein in Californian liberal culture is meddling in elections that aren't in California. For the simple fact that California elections are kind of boring. The Democrat always wins. You got to outsource your villains. I can imagine that if Gavin were to sell anti-Florida or anti-Ron DeSantis flags on his website, you'd see them attached to BMWs in Burbank by the end of the week. But of course, there are some procedural problems for Gavin Newsom. You know, there happens to already be a Democrat in the White House. And that man has said multiple times that he is running for re-election. Does running an ad like this, wherein he already is attacking the reputation of a possible GOP nominee in Ron DeSantis. Are we to take that, that Newsom believes that Biden is going to stand down? If that's the case. It also means he's going to have no respect for the current vice president and fellow San Francisco city government alum Kamala Harris to say that the pair have been frenemies over the years would be an understatement. And if Gavin does believe that, you could understand why. At the time of this recording, Biden's real clear politics average on his approval rating is drifting into the mid 30s. And his disapproval is about to hit 60%. Now, that disapproval number is high even for Trump. 
As for his approval number, there was one outlier poll that had him at 30%. In general, when you're at 20%, that's when we get into, do you need to go now territory? For the record, these are the predicted odds for the Democratic nominee. Hillary Clinton is in fifth place. Pete Buttigieg is in fourth place. Tied for second is Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom. Joe Biden is the clear favorite at number one. So. While those markets can fluctuate quite a bit, and I'm sure that Gavin Newsom's price has gone up a little bit based on his decision to spend this money campaigning in a state that he is not running for election in, at least we all know that by the by the money, people believe that he is just as likely as a possible Democratic nominee as Kamala is. So let's look on the Republican side where there is an actual clear path to the nomination with one big chungus-sized shadow hanging over it. On CNN Tuesday, New Jersey Governor Chris Murphy said he approved of Newsom going after Ron DeSantis, which is the kind of political spider sense that I'd expect from a dude who almost lost to a no-name candidate last year. Let me make this clear. Aside from Donald Trump, no one in politics is as good at making things all about himself as Ron DeSantis is. You can try and play his game, and you will likely lose. His team is built for 24-7 internet mudslinging, and yours isn't. I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot about Ron DeSantis over the next two years, so I'm not going to go into super big detail on why I think he's a strong candidate other than this now old school reasoning. He's a popular young governor in a massive state. Either he's going to inherit the MAGA mantle from Trump if Donald doesn't run, or we're going to get one of the best master versus apprentice primary battles of all time. And if anybody on planet Earth can erode Trump's base with the people that helped make him who he is, it's Ron DeSantis. But on the GOP side, there is another. We've talked on this show about the new lane of viable GOP candidates who have not had a slavish relationship to Trump. You know, it's a pretty simple strategy. First, don't start screeching like a never-Trumper about how bad Trump is. Realize that the more attention you give him, the less you're focusing on your own narrative. Second, say that while you're appreciative of what Trump did as president— There are bigger fish to fry right now. Third, pick a pet issue, let's say inflation or abortion, and make it your signature. Have a bold solution and tap into the passion surrounding these issues. Sprinkle in a little. The Democrats have gotten way too extreme. You can have some leeway to take positions that Republican orthodoxy kind of didn't allow you to do pre-Trump. And you've got yourself a pretty good playbook. One that we've seen Mike Pence and Brian Kemp 
walk with recently. But the man who best defined that strategy to a winning result first one year ago was Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. His pet project was education. And according to the Washington Post, well, man might need to get his trainers on because he's running. Quote Axios on the possibility. Youngkin is nowhere close to announcing his candidacy. He's just in the mega donor meeting stage trying to better read the room. But his underdog victory in Virginia was emboldening. And there's a pragmatic case for seeking higher office before establishing too much of a record in a lower office. See Obama Barack. Now, you might normally think that you don't want to pale in this, right? You don't want to jump out of a, even if you're a popular governor, you don't want to jump out of a term too early. But remember that Virginia is not like most states. Youngkin won in 21. That means that he would be out of that office by 25 because Virginia does not allow you to campaign for consecutive terms. So he would have to find something to do in the meantime anyway. And considering those Senate slots, and there's a reason, by the way, that every senator from Virginia is a former governor because of this one-term rule, those Senate seats do not look as favorable for him to run for. So if he's just going to be sitting around, he might as well run for president anyway. Besides, he's 44. We're getting into primetime age for stuff like that. Is Youngkin national material? Well, if you were going to sniff around it and maybe even take from the DeSantis playbook, then you'd probably want to be touting your accomplishments on Hannity a little bit more. And maybe he too could one day be on the business end of a Gavin Newsom campaign ad. The governors are coming and they will all be on a crash course for 24. I want to thank everybody who gave such fantastic feedback on the, uh, the, the Roe versus Wade episode that came out on Friday. It is always good to hear you guys uh, enjoy those essay episodes that take a little bit more time, a little bit more research. Uh, I did want to address a, a few of the pieces of feedback that we got. Number one, Obama technically did not have a 60 vote majority the day that everybody got sworn in. Uh, Al Franken's election took a little bit longer uh, to get put together. And then, of course, you had Ted Kennedy dying shortly after that. Still, my larger point was is that if he could hammer through Obamacare, he had a chance to grab something of a national consensus on abortion. And furthermore, I believe we're closer to that than otherwise. Similarly, the pro-life bill that I talked about, while it technically does not enshrine abortion access, Earlier than 20 weeks, uh, uh, it was something for which denied it past 20 weeks. Uh, the, the, the consensus is there. 
the the point of well, if you're making it illegal past this point, then you would be making it legal prior to that is is something that I believe is at the very least a jumping off point for us to make headway on this issue for which I will point out again is for everybody involved life or death. Furthermore, even since that episode came out, we have seen some harrowing tales of young women as as I mean girls as young as 10 crossing borders to get abortions. I believe that this is only the beginning of a trend and we are going to see much, much more of that going forward if just because it will be a story that will get press traction. So with all that, with all the nuance, with all of the things for which I I said at the beginning, good luck to anybody who is, is going to have to enforce some of these laws, you would wonder whether or not the other big point from that episode, the idea that we are looking at a possible consensus on this stuff would have any kind of traction amongst our highest office. We're going to have a conversation with Dave Leventhal in a couple minutes about the money related to this, but I want to follow up with this from the Washington Post about the congressional summits on exactly what they want to do between now and the midterms. Quote, Even as House Democrats have been plotting possible votes to prove a point, inside a recent closed-door Senate Democrat caucus meeting, a group of women senators played down the prospect of quote-unquote show votes. According to three Democrats familiar with the meeting, which some on the Senate floor could fear would open a path for centrist Republicans to break with their party. The Democrats spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe a private conversation, end quote. Because God forbid we sent a signal to the American public that indeed there are the seeds of a possible coalition here. No, let's make sure that no Republican possibly even comes to where you would have the beginnings of some kind of deal that could get to 60 votes. God forbid, God forbid we even got close to solving this before an election. Oh, what a waste of turnout. We continue from the Washington Post. Instead, the three Democrats familiar with the meeting said a likelier strategy is to attempt over the summer to pass bills on the floor by unanimous consent, a maneuver that would publicly demonstrate GOP opposition to popular measures, but would not require all senators to cast votes. So even if the Republicans would be more likely to demonstrate themselves, To be closer to the mainstream, these centrist Republicans, the Democrats will not allow them to do it because it would mean that people might have an excuse to not vote blue no matter who. One last quote from the Washington Post story. My view of it is that the Republicans are already on the record when it comes to protecting the fundamental freedom of people who are able to decide for themselves about their own body, said Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota. Quote, I don't really think that any particular votes on the floor of the Senate are going to change that. 
and to make sure we're not going to have any. I added that last part myself, but I felt like it was pretty much unspoken. But before I leave you, I do have some good news. Here is a fresh off the presses Harvard Harris poll about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. They show that the overturning of it was a 45% support, 55% opposed, which would be higher on the support side than I would have expected, but I, I, I buy that number. 37% of respondents would ban abortion entirely with only rape and incest exceptions. So that is a fairly high representation based on other uh, polls doing a similar question. 49% would support an abortion ban after six weeks. But 72% of respondents would support an abortion ban after 15 weeks. 15 weeks again, that was the Mississippi law that caused the Supreme Court to rule on Roe versus Wade. If this situation now looks different, now that Roe versus Wade is gone and it's not eroding Roe versus Wade, it is now looking at a national consensus on this at 15 weeks. I mean, like I said before, I do think that there is a consensus here. And I think it's somewhere between 15 and 20 weeks or 15 to 25 weeks, however you want to do it. Because here's here's the other thing that is really, really, really telling to me. Only 10% of respondents supported the position of allowing abortion up until birth. So if what you're looking at what you were looking at with Roe was a guarantee on abortions through the third trimester. And that is the least popular part of that law protecting elective on demand abortions through the first trimester, which again is overwhelmingly the time where women get abortions by the numbers, by Planned Parenthood's numbers. It is overwhelming, over 80%. I think it'd be worthwhile. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for supporting this program. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go. So, some housekeeping. Uh, this episode and Friday's episode will be my last ones on the free feed for this month. There will be a Patreon episode that will uh, come out between this episode and the Friday episode. And then that'll be it for me for the next three weeks. I am going on vacation. I, you guys know, I, 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 well, let me just put it this way. I don't like vacation. I hate vacation. It is hard for me to do. I have a, I have a new media creator's work ethic. <laughs> I feel like if I don't produce for you guys on a regular basis that I will wither and die. 
However, I have a wife who is good and forces me to sometimes disconnect. And so while I would normally just do everything that I, I, I need to do for you guys around this, this is going to be a time for me to disconnect and reconsider my life. I mean, not, not really. I mean, but certainly hone the product, make the product better, recharge my batteries. However, I am allergic to letting you guys go without the PX3 show. And so we are going to have three guest hosts over the next three weeks. Andrew Heaton will take over next week. Tom Merritt will take over the week after that. And making his PX3 hosting debut, and certainly this kind of political talk show hosting debut, Bill Scher doing a one mic show for the first time. I'm very thrilled for that. Although actually he has another uh, a, a podcast called When Things Work. And I'm glad I mentioned that because here's how the schedule is going to go. If you're on the Patreon, you're still going to get your Monday episode. You're still going to get your Thursday episode. The guest host will do that. The free show will still be on Wednesday. And then Friday, we are going to give you a best of from the work of the guest host. So you're going to get a best of of the political orphanage next week, a best of of uh, some of the great stuff that Tom has done, and then a best of from Bill Share the week after that. And then I'm home and then we get back to the way things have always been. This only exists. And I mean all of it, not only the guest hosts because they are going to get paid, but also the fact that I in any way feel comfortable taking any kind of time off because of you, because of take politics seriously, because there are people that want to pay $3 and get their uh, bonus episodes because there are $10 members who like to hear their name at the end of the show. You guys are the lifeblood. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much it means to me that I'm able to do this and not feel that my entire life is falling apart. That is unless my life falls apart while I'm on vacation. In that case, I'll never leave my house again. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our guest today is no stranger to the program. He is the smartest man on cash in Washington. He is the one and only money man, Dave Leventhal. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me, Justin. I do appreciate it. Whenever there is a loss of political gravity or any kind of major event, my first thought is always, okay, but where's the money going? <laughs> because in politics, that is pretty much uh, uh, you know, a, a determinant factor often in how uh, various different issues are, are going to go. We have two such events that have happened. The first we talked to, uh, with you about a few months ago, and that was after the leaked version of the Alito decision, for which we now know is indeed the final decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. 
Is there anything that we know now about that moment fundraising a few months ago on whether or not it, it disproportionately affected certain candidates uh, uh, or anything that we know now? First, it, it may come as a shock to you, but my mind also my mind also goes immediately to where is the money going when you have a big news event? So, yeah, go yeah. back to a couple of months when the leaked version of the Supreme Court's decision came out and we did indeed talk about, well, this is going to be a huge fundraising opportunity for candidates on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And especially Democrats who were incredibly Aggressive. So to answer your question and bring it to the here and now, what we saw a few months ago was absolutely a harbinger, a prelude to what we saw when the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs that overturned Roe v. Wade did come down. And in literally moments, just minutes after the decision came down, there was a just an incredible amount of fundraising activity that happened in the first hour alone, led by Nancy Pelosi herself and just about every rank and file Democrat from there under were saying, send me $5. Yeah. Open up your wallet. Give us your credit card and, and, and donate, 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 donate. So, you know, there, there's two sides to this proverbial coin number one uh it, a, a, a whole, coin a coin for which nancy pelosi would like you to chip in uh, i will i will make mention yes and, and the bigger the coin the, <laughs> the shinier the coin, coin the better the, the constitution <laughs> perhaps being platinum or gold versus silver or something else <laughs> yes that that's what they were going for but but the, yeah the, sorry the, sorry the, I, I i derailed the two sides of the coin are what <laughs> well the one side of the coin is uh, first of all that that there, there's a certain ick factor to all of this. You've, you've yes. just had one of the most important Supreme Court decisions, regardless of how you feel about it, uh, that has come down. Uh, it, you know the way that we deal with the law in this country, the the, the way that we deal with freedoms in this country has, has changed, and it and it just changed in that moment. And the first message that you may be getting as somebody who follows politics or just wonders what this means to me or the body politic in general is yeah. the, the first message that you're getting is money. Yes. And, and, and that definitely was uh, surprising to some people who are not political junkies and who, who are not, you know, listening to necessarily the politics, politics, politics podcast, or following the, the churn of news day to day. And uh, it, it talked to a lot of people, friends, family members who, who are fit that bill. They're not political junkies. Yeah. Like, man, I got like five fundraising emails. What's up with that? And what's up with that is the other side of that coin, which is that even though there is an ick factor, even though it can turn some people off, even though some people might find that unsavory or tone deaf or like read the room, Democrats, it's still a massive, massive fundraising opportunity. And we absolutely know from anecdotally that a ton of money was raised on the Democratic side in just the day after the decision, the Dobbs decision came down, Republicans were slower, much slower to the punch on the fundraising end and did not see this necessarily across the board as a winning fundraising opportunity. There were exceptions to it. Donald Trump did send out one fundraiser. Uh, the Republican Party did too, smattering here and there. But this has all been very much driven on the D side, yeah. not the R side, because they see this as absolutely a huge money issue and fundraising winner for them. 
and also to something that more broadly speaking, Justin, is going to be a catalyst to what they hope is going to be a winning issue for them in November at a time when both the House and the Senate, controlled now by Democrats on both sides, could be lost to yes. Republicans because they're they're just hanging on by a hair's breadth at this point on both sides. So to to go with uh, uh, both of the things that you just said, both sides of that coin, the last one first, if a family member dies, no matter how gross it is, you're going to get a mailer for caskets. Like that's just, that's just the way it goes. There are some things that are, that are grosser than others on the first one, which I find more interesting is whether or not the Democrats are going to be able to run this exact same playbook because, you know, after the fact that we're at a kind of fundamental end of a chapter of this part of our political story, a, a story that has been raging for as long as we have both been alive, this battle right. over Roe versus Wade, that's done. So can you run the exact same playbook that they've done every moment that we've been alive, which is whenever there is a bit of Roe versus Wade news on a state or national level, they will react to it via fundraising or, and this is possibly where that ick factor can become a political liability for the Democrats. Is there an element of, wait a minute, why, why another $5? Why uh, a marshalling your voting when you're not telling me anything different? Uh, uh, quite simply, if Democratic voters look at this leadership and say, you lost, at the very least, we need new people. We need new ideas because you've been telling me our entire lives, this is important. This is important. Roe is on the ballot. Roe is on the ballot. And Democratic voters have come out and voted and voted and voted and chipped in for dot, 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 what? And and that's where I, I I wonder the biggest question for me going forward, and I feel like we are it makes this midterms more interesting than than just your average oh the the senator the house might change hands kind of midterms because I do feel like there might be a sea change in how Democrats message and fundraise on these issues because right now we're not seeing a ton of new ideas. These are the exact same fundraising appeals that have gone out again for my entire life. Yeah. And on the, on the money micro level there, there, there's that very real question that I'm sure lots of Democrats are asking themselves right now. I know Democrats in some quarters are asking themselves right now, which is exactly that. What did my $5, what did my $50, my $5,000 buy me when I gave it before here we are in this absolutely Armageddon-like legal mm -hmm. situation in the minds of many Democrats, and and yet the same things are happening over and over again. And you start thinking about, oh, well, the definition of insanity is, is. doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So there, this is definitely very much in play here in 2022. It also speaks to a bigger issue, and the bigger issue is this: that there is a faction of the Democratic Party or a wing of the Democratic Party, kind of slice it and dice it as you will, but at least a portion of the Democratic Party that is going into this 2022 midterm election just incensed and feeling yeah. like they have been let down and feeling as if the old guard Democratic leadership, and you can say Joe Biden, you can say Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and Chuck Schumer, people who are not spring chickens by any standard definition 
and, and, and wondering. And, and, well, and, by, and by the way, I think there was—I forget who tweeted it. I, I really should should source this right. But uh, looking at Democratic leadership from when we were in high school to the Democratic leadership now are the same picture as the office meme goes. Whereas the Republicans, it's pretty much just Mitch McConnell. He's the only dude who has survived from that class to continue to be in leadership. Now the Republicans have gone had a fairly large overhaul in the, in their leadership. Not so Chuck Schumer has been there. Joe Biden has been there. Nancy Pelosi has been there forever. And, and revolutionary leadership. If you, Absolutely. if you want to go to that extreme with Donald Trump and in essence, within not even 10 years time, almost a, a complete makeover and an inside outing of the, of the Republican party. And yep. the question for Democrats is, do Democrats need to have the same thing happen in order for this to work and for them to win going forward? Now, they've, they've got everything that you would ever want, right? The White House, the House, the Senate. This is great. And well, in practice, it hasn't quite worked out the way that many Democrats wanted to. And then the Supreme Court, of course, is a whole nother animal unto itself. And, and that raises some major, major questions in the minds of many Democrats, which is, all right, the, the, the party seems to be over here. We, we are going to lose. And in order to win, we may need to reimagine the very essence of what we are as a party. What does that look like? Well, that's going to be the question that we're going to be asking ourselves for the next two and a half years, all the way on to the 2024 presidential election, when you have all these very, very fascinating questions of will Biden run? Yeah. If Biden does run, should he be primary? I mean, there's lots of permutations probably for another show, but at least in the here and now, that is something that could factor into the 2022 midterms yeah. in terms of people staying home, in terms of people not making those donations when they used to before, not getting involved in volunteering at the level that they had been before, and definitely not recruiting people who might be predisposed to supporting the Democratic Party but aren't exactly feeling like the Democratic Party is supporting them in the way they want to be supported. This is a two-way street, and if there's a if there's a big stop sign or or it doesn't feel like it's uh, it's equitable in in a political sense, then you might have uh, some people who are are not going to be quite as motivated as say a lot of Republicans might be motivated right now to go and and win the House and win the Senate when they have the opportunity to do so. I think this also is a, a very bad time for this kind of reckoning, although possibly a, a, an ingredient to it for the Democratic Party when you've got a president who is now tickling the the mid 30s on his real clear politics average approval rating and rocketing up to the 60s in terms of his disapproval, which is even even by like Trump standards, that is that is high. Uh, so. Uh, uh, with that being said, let's pick, let's take a look at the other thing that has uh, uh, captivated not only Washington, D.C., but also the political world, and that is the January 6th hearings. I've been fairly skeptical about this as a needle mover, but there is no denying that the Cassidy Hutchins testimony was something that certainly generated the kind of headlines that has thus far eluded the January 6th hearing outside of super dedicated political sources. Yeah. But again... The question is the money, Dave. Is this a money maker? So we're going to see some real numbers a little later this month, and and that will will tell us for sure that uh, whether this has been a mover. I suspect that it's not going to be as big a mover as some might think it would be, and yeah. that the the hearings are they're they're over time. 
they are they're they're in ongoing series. I mean, it feels like the NHL playoffs of <laughs> politics here, where they just last forever, right? But the profound it testimony. Would be, it that, would be that if if the the NHL playoffs were allowed to then just add another series. If they were like, well, you, you, you want to know what? We actually really liked the Rangers and we actually really liked uh, uh, the, the the Blues. Like, let's have them also play a series because this is going so well. Or, or the series would be transferred to like the the whatever the NHL uh, analog of the DOJ would be to exactly. see if there's actual like real things that will happen <laughs> out of it. But at least from a money standpoint, yeah, people have been fundraising off this. Uh, the one who's been fundraising off it the most is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump has been constantly banging the drum about the January 6 hearings ever since they began in a money sense. And Donald Trump has po- multiple political committees that he is operating. This is all being done with the massive question looming, which is, is Donald Trump going to a run for re-election as president or run mm-hmm. for a second term and become the, the Grover Cleveland of the 2020s? Or is he not only going to run, but also announce sooner rather than later? So big question there. The, the Democrats, yes, there are fundraiser messages from Liz Cheney and from Adam Schiff and some of the players there. But fitting, fitting, get- fitting, that, fitting that you mentioned Liz Cheney as a member of the Democrats. Oh, well, yeah, you, you, the, the asterisks of, of all, but Liz Cheney, who said she might run for president in, in 2024, but the Democrats are definitely fundraising. Yeah. And then the two Republicans who are serving on the Democratic-led uh, committee are yeah. fundraising, too, for their own purposes. And Liz Cheney is facing a massive primary push, and it's very unclear as she will even be able to survive uh, to become a member of Congress for another two-year term and is clearly willing to sacrifice her seat to go forward with this effort going in place. So bottom line, yes, money is being raised. Is it overwhelming money? I doubt it. And it, it's not something that like abortion is sort of that, you know, hate click, outrage click, yeah. let's donate my $50 because we've got to do something. That's where oftentimes the real flashpoint money is coming from those types of, uh, of instances. And in that point, I feel like this is a copy of a copy of the first impeachment that if, yeah. if, if the second impeachment was a copy of the first impeachment, why wait, hold on. Yeah. So the second impeachment would have been the January 6th one, which probably was its own element of it. So, all right, let me go back. It's, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. Cause I feel like the Mueller push was probably the first big fundraising opportunity for folks who just wanted Trump damaged or out then you have the ukrainian impeachment which even saying that right now considering everything that's happened since then feels like a bizarre sentence and and then the january 6th one which was the actual second impeachment now you have this right which is i I think something that is a a riddle within an enigma and a dream within a dream so we're we're having lots of fun exactly a a, a donut hole within a donut hole as (laughs) as knives out or brian windhorse and the memes would say but uh, uh, with that being said, I would imagine that the person for whom you could expect to raise the most money from this would be Liz Cheney, right? Because she's now on a- an ascendant kind of, dare I say, star on the Democratic side as somebody who is speaking truth to power on Donald Trump, which is always a good brand. Uh, she is very much... Uh, eclipsed other people for whom uh, it is a dangerous place 
to be between them and a camera like Adam Schiff, who is also on this committee. Uh, and she has a big consequential primary coming up. So I, I would expect she would be probably the biggest beneficiary. Uh, uh, would you agree with that? I think that she stands to uh, all things being equal, be either among them, if not the top. She, she, Liz Cheney is her side has encouraged Democrats in Wyoming to even switch partisanship from Republicans to Democrat or from Democrats to Republicans so that they can vote in the Republican party, even if they are Democrats in their heart of hearts. So you, you've got all of this weird kind of cross party Pollinization, repollinization going on, and uh, in, in it's all quite curious and, and and fascinating at the same time too. But yeah, there is a distinct possibility that she will lose the money that's coming into her coffers. Wyoming is, I believe, still the the least populous state in the mm-hmm. union, mm-hmm. Uh, or the second least, depending on the census. Gonna gonna have to check the record there. But regardless, it, the the population is tiny relative to most other states. And the money that she's going to be raising is not going to be coming from Cheyenne or Casper. It's going to be coming from New York City or L.A. or other places around the country that are going to flood in. Uh, and, and that's an interesting situation because money does not necessarily equal votes in a contest like that when it's really going to be the hardcore Republican base that is going to determine whether Liz Cheney gets another term or not, because it's a Republican state. It's a red state. And she's running in a primary where she's got somebody who a lot of people view as a heck of a lot redder than she is running against her. Well, let's get a little conspiratorial here, Dave. Let's say, theoretically, that, you know, Liz Cheney, who this week on the Sunday shows on ABC's This Week, actually, uh, a data an interview, an exclusive interview from the Reagan Library with Air Force One in the background. Some presidential iconography was asked whether or not she is planning on running for president. She said, that's a determination I'll make after I lose. I mean, after this uh, primary that's going to happen in the next two months. Uh, if she raises a bunch of money. And finds out that the ad rates in Cheyenne and Casper aren't exactly bank breaking material. Is she able to carry those funds over into a presidential race? I'm so glad you asked this question because the answer is yes, she absolutely mm, can. Interesting. Ding, ding, ding. And so, yes, if you if you do want to get conspiratorial here and you you do want to peer into the future and look beyond this primary and yep. beyond Liz Cheney's house race and, and go into 2023 and into 2024, the, the quick legalese answer is it is permissible for you as a member of Congress, so long as you are running for federal office, which Congress is, to transfer the contents of your congressional account into the account that you would set up to run a presidential campaign. And we saw this in 2020. Uh, Elizabeth Warren would be a good example of somebody who had money go from one account to another. A Kirsten Gillibrand, when she was running in her ill-fated effort, did the same thing too. So this is not with this is not unusual. This is not something where there's no historical precedent for it. In, in fact, it's it's relatively common for candidates who may not ultimately become president, but it's a way for them to cede their presidential effort 
without really having to do a whole heck of a lot of work. They just got to effectively, you know, go and take the money from their savings account and put it into their checking account. And yeah. that's really all it needs to happen. So that's a great way to kickstart things and get you off the ground and buy some ads and hire some staff and do all of the standard trappings that you would need to do early in a presidential campaign to get your effort off the ground and get going. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe, I don't know. I, I hear Des Moines. Very nice this time of year for, for Liz Cheney. One more thing, I, I think just for folks in case uh, they have not heard uh, uh, this, this from, from you before, but the line here that you just spelled out is federal versus state, right? So if Ron DeSantis, who many expect will run for president in 2024, that also has an election coming up here in the fall, if he's raising money, he would probably be better served to be directing especially big money fundraisers to to put stuff in a pack or something like that, not his official DeSantis for governor thing, because that is a state office and, and you cannot transfer it from a state level to a federal level, right? Yes, in general. And there's a big caveat to this as well, because at, as you just described, if you are a gubernatorial candidate or a state Senate candidate and you run for federal office, in general, you cannot take the money from that state account and just directly put it into your federal campaign account. That's a that's a big no-no. The question is, are there going to be ends around that can be run in this very laissez-faire political money system that we have at the federal level? And so Ron DeSantis is raising Boku bucks, just crazy, crazy money as he runs for re-election for governor in 2022 and is almost, if not almost certain, very likely to win re-election en route to a potential 2024 presidential bid. Yeah. So the question then becomes, I mean, I, okay. I, I would say considering Gavin Newsom is the most talked about Democrat in Florida right now. Uh, yes, yes, it is likely it, it he's going to win. probably is not Nikki Freed, who uh, is the odds on Democratic yeah, who, who, winner, Nikki, but, yeah, Nikki Freed, who had, to, who had to go on Twitter, poor girl, and say, oh, don't worry, Gavin, I got this. It's like, oh, geez, come on, Nikki. So let's presume for the sake of argument that, that Ron DeSantis wins re-election. He is yes. the governor of Florida again going into 2023 and that his presidential ambitions uh, at, as they are begin in earnest uh, at that point. And, and he goes that route. What does he get to do with any leftover money from his gubernatorial campaign account? So that's a huge question. Could he take that money and in, in essence, transfer that, that into, say, a nonprofit organization that would get political and either funnel money into maybe a super PAC or use mm -hmm. the money on it? So there are lots of sort of very exotic fundraising pathways that potentially could emerge with a candidate like that. Now, this is a little bit different because we're now a dozen years past the Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission Supreme mm -hmm. Court decision, which set much of the current state of play into motion. And, and with the Republican Party, at least, Donald Trump, he wasn't in this situation. He wasn't a state-level candidate. He remade things kind of in his own image and, and, and did it in, in very novel ways. His big thing was, I'm a billionaire. I don't need anyone else's money. And yeah. then he turned around and raised you know, crazy money from everyone but Donald Trump. So lots of different things going on. Ron DeSantis is an interesting case. And I, 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 if I could make one uh, very conservative prediction is that his situation, were he to run for president, would be that he is going to really test some of the boundaries of campaign finance law at the federal level 
with novel questions such as that? And can you take this huge state chunk of money, state level yep. chunk of money, and how can you use that at any level at the federal level, if not for yourself, then through different organizations and committees that will be very beneficial to you, but that you won't yourself personally can control individually or through your own campaign. You, you'll be legally barred, legally barred from talking privately, which as we saw with the, uh, the, 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 the J.D. Vance situation in Ohio means that you are usually publicly, quote unquote, talking to people via channels that are just not you know, uh, uh, searchable on, on the internet. So this is the age of wink, wink, nod, nod, do, do the old baseball, wiggle your ear and shake your this, head. All right, so th- this, was, this was my pitch. Uh, uh, and, and you've spent more time looking at FEC law than anybody that I know, but, uh, I, I, here's my reform proposal, because I think we can all understand that this situation between the packs and the campaigns is just not, it, it's not achieving what we wanted it to uh, uh, even, you know, the the idea of uh, uh, these, the you know, between McCain, Feingold and Citizens United, I feel like we've we've now just got this twisted, gnarled version of uh, that, that does not achieve really what anybody wants. And so if we're to understand that these packs are going to get gigantic amounts of money and we know that it's very hard to police exactly how they are talking to the campaigns, then here's what I would suggest. You have a designated uh, 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 slack teams, whatever, you know, and, and that's it. You can officially talk to your pack from your campaign publicly on this thing for which anybody can, can watch. You have to publish it. Uh, no one else can edit it. You guys are the only people who can post to it, but at least we kind of get the only thing that I think we could hope for in these situations, which is just a, a, a an understanding of how these people are communicating with each other because they are. We know they are. And, and we find the, 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 the hidden YouTube channels. We find the medium accounts that are delisted from Google crawling like like these things always come out. The best they could do is just maybe make them public so we can just all see it as it happens. And as wonderful as that sounds, it presumes that Democrats and Republicans would be able to get together and agree on a way to even enshrine that in rules or laws, which they have proven themselves to be utterly incapable of doing in any way. Let's put it this way. If we were to tear down the entire campaign money structure of this country, burn it to the ground, just, just absolutely obliterate it, and then build it back up anew. Would it look anything like it looks like it does today? And the the answer almost certainly a thousand percent through and through would be no. It would look nothing like it does today because our current system is this hodgepodge patchwork quilt of haphazard chock block. This decision from the FEC, that decision from this federal court, this decision and ruling from the Supreme Court. This law that has been superseded by that law, yeah. it's a mess. So, you know, we're we're dealing with a very illogical system that, that has real no philosophy or direction behind it, certainly not in the way that, that was the case back in the 1970s when there was the Federal Election Campaign Act that was passed and there was the FEC created out of the Watergate experience and there was some real semblance of, of bipartisan impetus to make this a better system and, and to 
to be able to avoid future problems such as the ones that, that Watergate uh, so clearly highlighted and, and the flaws in the way that, that money influences politics. But we are so far removed from that right now that the system today would look absolutely unrecognizable in, in, in many, many material ways to somebody who had gone, you know, Rip Van Winkle in 1975 <laughs> and just suddenly woke up here and was like, oh, oh wow, the internet, this is crazy. And oh, I'm an election law lawyer. And whoa, this is this is very, very, very different than when I went to bed. So yeah, that this is uh this is something that don't expect it to change. And if anything, is going to get more complicated as uh, as things continue to evolve, or if you will, devolve, if you believe it that that to be true. I guess forcing 70-year-olds to log on Discord probably wouldn't make things less complicating. So uh, maybe maybe my maybe I'm, I'm part of the problem though. as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh have you ever actually detailed what what your what your dream scenario would be? Well, that that would that would force me to uh, to weigh in and and make policy um pronouncements of uh, which being a journalist uh an investigative no, one sometimes that, would, would are, be would be I, I out of bounds like for me that's, you know? that's 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 system system analysis though that's that's you know because i think you've done an excellent job and you certainly educated me and certainly the audience on some of the failings of the federal election committee uh, uh you know, oftentimes because they can't, they don't exist. There's not enough people uh, on 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 the panel to rule on anything. But I I, I don't know. I I I I think that it is well within your 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 realm as a as a mind in this space that I would love, and I think the audience would certainly at some point down the road love love to hear what the like. All right, let's let's pitch this new. A, a, a new system that understands the realities for which uh, exist here right now. Cause the one thing I will totally agree with you on is that while if we were to tear things down and rebuild them tomorrow, would it look the same way that it looks now? Probably not, but we will ignore the pressure points of our system at our peril. And, and I, I think that that's, that's often what happens is that we get into this situation of, well, let's ban money or let's, let, let's keep money away from it, uh, from, from candidates. And it's like, well, look, man, uh, it's, it's going to find its way there one way or another. It's just how many dummy medium accounts they have to open. And, and, and my semi non cop out answer is that uh, absolutely money like water will always find a way it, w- it will flow through the path of least resistance. Uh, and if you set up a, a system of dams or channels or locks mm-hmm. to extend the bad metaphor here, then then you can at least make it uh, make the playing field uh, something akin to fair or everyone will understand and know what the rules are so that they can play by them. I mean, the, the dirty little secret in politics is that most political committees, they, they actually want to do the right thing. And that's yeah. not a dirty secret. That's a clean, dirty secret, right? And they actually do want to follow the law. They want to comply with the rules of the road. And, and they don't want to find themselves, most of them, in a situation where they, they do something kind of around the margins. They slip up because of like a technical thing that happened. And and yet they get the bad headlines because they they broke some fairly quotidian or minor rule or regulation at the federal level, while all these other guys over here are doing all these crazy things with dark money and secret yeah. money and whatnot. And it seems wrong to a lot of people, but in fact, it's not because of the way that the laws are written or Supreme Court decisions that have come down or whatever the case may be. So 
so much of this is confusion and and not where where we get the trouble is it's not the people who are are necessarily breaking a law. It's it's the many many people who just are in politics and don't really understand even what the laws are or yeah. or if they're going to get in trouble or if the federal election commission is going to deadlock and. There's just a lot of confusion and sort of like none of this really matters anymore. And that's where you get trouble Yes, is when people are like, eh, this doesn't really matter. When if we were having that conversation 45 years ago around Watergate, the general consensus was this matters incredibly because it, it really kind of cuts to the bedrock of our democratic process and elections being fair and elections being free and money not having such a corrosive effect, not only on the elections themselves, but also when the governing begins, uh, having money play a role that uh, would be considered to be toxic or counterproductive for the best work being done by government for the people that may sound all very like political science 107 on you here. But at the same time, too, these are kind of like the core considerations that one must consider if you are uh, let us say, hoping that our democracy is going to be a healthy one for the many years going forward. And there are certainly many questions about uh, whether the majority of Americans feel that way right now. Well, you know, I, I wanted to, this conversation went too well because I wanted to get into a whole thing that that you just wrote about on Insider or, or is new on Insider about uh, uh, various different uh, people in Congress and the stocks they hold and whether or not it conflicts with their positions on, on abortion and, and, and various other issues. But I'm going to have to leave that to everybody to go on over to insider and read that themselves because we're out of time here. Dave Leventhal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, you obviously have that. Is there anything else that you'd like to direct everybody's attention to? I know uh, that that is a big story that we had over the weekend. Uh, also a colleague of mine, uh, Madison Hall, wrote a great story about one particular member of the Federal Election Commission who uh, had a very interesting appearance back last year that we got a invitation for. So it's something that is retrospective, but I think speaks very much to the the present day in terms of what's going on uh, over the Federal Election Commission. I will I will tease it and, and give you audio clickbait of that sort uh, to, to go and check it out. But a uh, real heck of a good uh, investigative look at uh, what that particular situation has shaped out to be. Well, uh, we will uh, catch up with you soon. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Justin. Thank you. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thank you to the great and powerful Dave Leventhal, you should head on over to letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. That is px3guest.com. Send your emails to the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Follow the show at px3tweets. Our Twitch is uh, px3live.com. I'll be, well, don't worry about that for a month. I already went live this morning, unless you're getting this early. Anyway, I'll be there this Wednesday, which might have already happened, and then I'm not going to be there for a month. But follow the Twitch anyway, because I will be there live again soon. px3podcast.com is where you can share this show with everybody that you know. And of course, merch can be found at politicsmerch.com. 
You can support me with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash pay jury Venmo is Justin-Young-20 and Cash App is PX3Cash. Send anything physical you would like in the mail, including checks, fiat currency, and the like. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Just make sure you make it out to Justin Young. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. MC Radio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Niemeister, Catherine Vigard, persons familiar with the matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, Dr. G, Neil. Uh, that, that, that's the Neil of Neils, of course. Charles, Darren, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven. Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana, Shrill Streaks, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D Laser, Just Another Pilot, The Gen, D Really, Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, as well as Middle Age Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, and A L D L D L. That's it. A-L-D-L-D-L. That's how it needs to go. And that's what you can do if you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We got a great show coming up for you on Friday. By the way, late breaking news as I am recording this. Several of Boris Johnson's ministers have quit. This looks as if this is the beginning of the end for old Bojo. Although we've said that before and it hasn't been the case, just in time for this some bitch to make me work on my vacation while I'm in London. Hachi machi. We'll keep an eye on it for you. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.